back to Spiral Hour, where Daniel's going to talk about his least favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Man, pr- pretty presumptuous of you. Well, the, uh, the reaction, for some reason, you were trying to make it sound mysterious. And you're like, this was quite the experience for me and not in the way I expected. And I was like, well, oh, so you don't like it? <laughs> no, because I didn't want to, like... Put me on know, my I heels. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, oh man, I, it's so not that I don't So the movie we're going like to talk about movie. is Equilibrium, in case uh, that wasn't yes, obvious yes, okay. by the title you clicked on. But, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. If, if, you've, if, if there's anything anyone has seen of this movie, it's any of the Gunkata stuff. And multiple awesome uh, gun nuns in anime have been directly inspired by John Preston. And in, mm-hmm. in particular, that stance where he has the one gun pointing up and one gun pointing down, like that whole like moving back to that after completing a fight. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's a, a character in this fighting game that I love called um, Akatsuki Blitzkampf. And uh, there's a, there's a gun nun in there and she does the exact stance and I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, it's John Preston. But yeah, uh, this this was a movie that was extremely influential. On a bunch mm-hmm. of other things, mostly just because of the Gunkata stuff. But on watching it now, which I think the uh, first time I saw this was in 2011. This movie came out way before that. But watching it now, that's probably the least interesting part to me. Even mm. though it's really cool. And I and I loved the idea. Just, just, because like, what's the coolest samurai? The one who brings a gun. What's the coolest gunman? The one who brings a sword. So it's just like kung fu, but our fists are our guns now. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so this movie was an experience for me because it was the first time in recent memory that I've watched something and really been like, oh man, this was much better in my memory. <clears throat> That's the first time in recent memory. You don't revisit things very often, do you? Not not as often. Or, like, when I do revisit things, it's things that I really, really liked. See, uh, for whatever reason, me and Dallas got into... Me and my friend Dallas got into this uh, almost... I don't want to say penis measuring contest, but it was like we were constantly challenging each other to revisit the things we liked... Just to, like, Mm -hmm. force ourselves to see that it was bad. And this, uh, really, I I had a really big one with Street Sharks back in the day. Because it was, like, Street Sharks I watched when I was, like, five. And I loved it. Like, I wanted all the toys and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. you watch that now. And it's, like, yeah, a five-year-old's taste is a a (laughs) five-year-old's taste. And it's, like, these characters are completely idiotic. The writing doesn't make any sense. The list of events almost seems discontinuous. It's like, wait, why is this happening now? (laughs) Then you compare it to uh, something that did age well, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Bikermice from Mars, the other ones Mm -hmm. that I liked. And it's like, yeah, yeah, this was the good one. These are the ones that that should survive. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's one part of this movie that I did notice was like that. And it was my original pop-off back in the day, which is where he first enters that room and takes everyone yes. out. Those effects, man, <laughs> they aren't as good as I remember. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> no. I think so such a cool idea though, the way that it's like pitch black in that room and all you see is the muzzle flash uh lighting each kill he makes. And I love the camera mm-hmm. work where it's like the camera's pointing directly at all of the bodies as they're getting blown back and like switching mm-hmm. direction a bunch. But what's weird is that what's it gets established later in the movie is the stances they take, which are uh the unconditional stances that people are least likely to hit accurately. They don't quite yeah. explain that, but you know, they're kind of standing over to the side and stuff. He isn't doing any of that in that opening scene. He's straight up just standing straight up and they're uh in a very jerky fashion CGIing his arms in between uh yeah. pointing them around. Now, here's the thing. Do you have any memory of it looking like that? I almost no. had a Mandela effect where I was like, wait, what's going on? Like, I remember this being literally perfect. Like, I don't I don't remember any blemish of, of that magnitude. It, it was like, it was so stunning that I was like, whoa, wait, is this a, a Star Wars special edition thing? Was this added after the fact? And I don't know, maybe it was? I didn't actually uh, go down that... Uh, Trail of Thought, because this was, it's not a, a recent movie. I mean, this is fresh, young, smoothly shaven, handsome uh, Christian Bale. Like, this is long time ago. This came out yeah. in 2002. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I was thinking it was in the 1990s, but... Well, yeah, they're, they're... the aesthetic keeps it from being easily placed. Yes, yes. The cars, the cars they make go for, it placeable. Well, and the cars, I would say they go for uh, older looking cars, even for 2002. Mm-hmm. But um, let's see, I'm trying to see any information. I don't see. I don't think that happens. That happened. But in my in my head, I was like, this seems like counterfeit. This is not what I remember at all. Yeah, and I feel like the majority of the movie was like that for me. See, I don't think so. That was the only part <clears throat> for me that I remembered like that. Do you did you remember the plot of the movie before going back into it? Yeah, I remembered the general plot, and for the most part I was completely right as to what the plot was. Mm-hmm. But the the movie, the way that it executed the plot <clears throat> was a little different than right, let's get what some I specifics. remembered. Let's get some okay. specifics because so, it, it went exactly how I remembered it, save for that part. Okay. Uh, so I didn't remember, uh, I didn't remember the bombings that they had set up. Uh, I didn't remember the all out, just complete war at the end. Um, it's just what a but, revolution is. Well, yes, that was one of the parts I remember most was, uh, okay the part at the end where you first kind of see him smile at the camera at like mm-hmm. the new dawn that that was like uh one of the image that stuck with me the most and i was like this is very much like uh inverse the matrix where the villain is basically the same but the way they are keeping people down is flipped whereas the matrix you're they're keeping you in your, your state of just simple pleasure and simple life. Yeah. But there's a terrible truth that they're, they're protecting you from so that you don't get any ideas. 
And yeah. the equilibrium is keeping you from the simple life and trying to keep you all, uh, <clears throat> you know, accept the message, accept that this is for the best. And, you know, uh, uh, humanity is humanity's greatest enemy. So you have to get rid of humanity. And it's like uh, with the Matrix, you know, he takes the red pill. He, he takes the dose that wakes him up. Whereas this, you're you're dosed up so that you don't just naturally wake up to what's really going on. But anyway, so so yeah. you were saying you don't remember all that stuff happening? Yeah, and like I also don't remember. Did you forget that the revolution was violent? <laughs> I I for I forgot that it was that violent. Does um, that seem particularly violent to you? Because I mean, I mean, when people are when when I'm used <laughs> to revolutions like you know Promare, <laughs> like those well, things are on recent memory where nobody dies. Uh, it, you know, well. This isn't that same kind of story. And also, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that uh, John Preston isn't he's not a clean cut hero. And it's mm. because he is incapable of being that at this moment. I think you could say that this movie stops. Uh, OK, so it has a nice cycle going mm -hmm. where uh, Errol Partridge, which is Sean Bean's character, he basically goes down the same path as John until the very end. But then John goes through his path. You see his, and then kind of near the end of his, you kind of see what's materializing of his son's path. And mm -hmm. and you can tell that the son's path is the one that goes from, um, <clears throat> I guess, the reaction to the violent liberation is, you know, now now we can have the context of people who live like normal people and now there can be another enlightenment. Whereas this was more like, John's like a caveman. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't know how to react to, or how to like manage his emotions. He's yeah. kind of figuring that out over the next few days. Like he stops going off the, pro or he goes off the prosium, which is the thing that I, I guess if you haven't seen equilibrium, maybe we should clarify the premise is that <clears throat> This is like uh, post-World War III, and the mm -hmm. solution, at least in this one city, which is the only little bit we get, we don't get much of the outside world, which they call the nethers, but ev all of the uh, citizens are doped up on a drug called prosium, which suppresses all human feeling. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the reasoning being feelings are what makes humanity inhumane. You know, humanity is inhumane it's this whole like you know uh uh just contradictory thing but but it has a point where they're like the price you pay to stop war to stop genocide and all this other stuff is all of the good so it's like you're <clears throat> supposedly their their argument is that they're getting balance and peace by removing both good and evil Mm -hmm. which is nihilism. So that's like, uh, I mean, it's very clearly a, a uh, an analog for communism or any kind of, no, it's m much more communism than a fascist state because the fascist state would be more like, you know, just pledged to the leader where this is 
more pledged to this uh, community, this this uh, shared belief system. Yeah, and, and it's like I mean, that, it's like if the movie was like Fahrenheit 451, 1984, and yes. the the book The Giver. If you ever read that, I never read that one. Didn't that get a movie? Uh, I, yeah. I don't think I ever saw it, but uh, I don't think the world saw it. <laughs> the The whole thing where it's like every third person is a government informant, which is kind of from uh, the Soviet Union, which then mm-hmm. also inspired other stuff to be like, well, yeah. Um, then there's the thing where the resistance leader later in the movie talks about how if you just stop the dose for one day, human nature will automatically reset itself. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely, I don't know if, if Kurt Wimmer, the writer-director, uh, read The Gulag Archipelago, but The Gulag Archipelago was a story written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. While he, like, he wrote it after he got out of the Gulag, but, or no, I think he was actually trying to write it while he was at the Gulag, but... Uh, it, it getting published and getting out there, it being this accurate, honest account of what was going on in the Soviet Union, was part of what destroyed the Soviet Union. Because mm-hmm. it was people just looking back on the page at what is literally happening and just being like, oh, this is this is going to fall now because this is so insane. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, in the moment... Humans kind of get to get caught. They they tend to get caught up in this stuff. Uh, you were saying about the bombs being planted. Did you see that as like terrorism? Uh, yeah, and I, I I saw that, and especially okay. This this is definitely the way that I was framing the movie after these changes kind of took me off guard. Um, but his smile at the end did not look like a smile of like. Oh, this is good. Like this is this is a new dawn. I saw a sinister like sn- not snarl. Uh, that, that 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 really is the wrong word, but it did not look like a genuine smile. Oh. Uh, and it actually like it it made me think about like I think we talked about this in the past, but like when you usurp something with violence or with this kind of violence you're just establishing yet another regime and that that's the feeling that i got with that mental framing that i had created where i was like oh this is this is much more violent than i remembered (laughs) all right well I, i didn't get that feeling but the and the the violence that i saw didn't seem um How did I describe that? It, it didn't seem like it was delighting in itself. It, mm. it seemed like kind of a uh, <clears throat> more of an American Revolution thing where it's like, get away from me, leave me alone. Like mm. it was more like a, an immediate animalistic reaction after the conditioning broke. Because like when people moved to the New World, it was like, oh, yeah, we can do this without kings. We don't need those. We don't We don't need uh, the royal family or none of that. It's hey, not... did somebody say kings? Huh? 
like the British army walks in oh, like oh <laughs> well I mean to be fair the people who <laughs> the people who rebelled against the British <laughs> were former British like yeah. it, it was uh, no we don't do that anymore <laughs> and they're like what do you mean you don't do that anymore anymore and it's like I mean I mean we don't do that anymore and we're gonna tell you directly we don't do that anymore leave us alone so they didn't leave them alone <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, I didn't see it as a Bolshevik revolution. I saw it more as like an American revolution. Whereas the Bolshevik mm-hmm. revolution was uh, based on resentment. It was based on look at these scummy rich people in there and, you know, in, in the ivory tower and we're going to kill them all and like feed them to each other. Like mm. that, that's the kind of thing that I didn't see. This felt more like the fall of the Soviet union uh, or the fall of the British empire where it's like the British Empire was a horrible, evil thing that was doing evil things. And then the reaction to that was stop or we will make you stop. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, uh, this, this state, what was it? Libria? Libria is the, is the name of the, the city or well, is it the name of the city or name of the nation? That's a little uh. unclear. Yeah, it's it's one or the other. I think it's because the movie is uh, working with a very, we'll say, um, trim budget. Like mm. it's it's able to use it where it really needs it. But you could tell the places where they couldn't afford it, like having big open shots of this fully sci-fi city. Yeah. They had to be very limited in that stuff. They had to be very and careful. And they had where to they cover it up those. with a lot of bloom. Yes, but. Uh, I really liked that because I was like, it looks like Deus Ex, but, <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, so y- your main issue with, well, okay, also keep in, not, uh, keep in mind that, um, terrorism, the goal of terrorism is to generate fear in a population, mm-hmm. whereas that would actually be more what Libria is doing. To keep them afraid of what's of what could happen yeah. if they revolt, where I I see this more. Okay, so I'm not justifying violent revolution, but this isn't <laughs> unreal. It's not unrealistic. It is a kind of thing that happens, and in actual human history, there are times where it has worked. For it's worked out for the better. Mm-hmm. I guess the best example would have, would be the American Revolution. Where it's like, uh, stop being a tyrant, let people be free. And then they don't listen to it. And, I mean, Moses, that was a little violent. Yeah. Uh, the angel of death. So, there is a, a religious precedent for this, too. Yeah. It's, it's not to say, okay. Like I said, I'm not trying to justify killing. And of course, the better result is what I think is set up in that the son, his legacy, what it's going to be, is going to be the peaceful freedom thing. Yeah. And and less the... I mean, they're living under an oppressive, violent, murderous regime as it is. Even though it's very clean cut, uh, people don't get a trial. They're just... They're executed on sight for whatever the KGB decides they need to be executed for. Uh, So I definitely wouldn't say uh, that you can say that things are worse. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I I, I, I don't think that the situation is worse. 
And um, I, I think the thing with the uh, the guy who turned out to be father, mm-hmm. as much as I don't think he should have been executed because he was unarmed, you definitely get the feeling that this is a guy who got himself killed. Yeah. Like, uh, the whole the whole like tyrant thing where it's like conformity for you, but not for me. Like, he gets to be the individual. Yeah. He doesn't have to be on the drug. He gets to enjoy, you know, having his little artistic place that he gets to stay in. Uh, he, he, you know, he actually gets to experience the full range of human emotion, which is interesting that the person leading the emotionless uh, country isn't on the same drug. It's like, yeah, that's literally always how it works. But, uh... yeah. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. I mean, I'm no, just, no, I'm no. Just so, I, I think that it was just the first, the first, like, like I said, the first time in recent memory that I was like thrown off by my memory of it versus the reality that we have, and then hmm. because of that, I mean, like, have you seen John Wick? Oh yeah, no, no, no. So. So I'm not saying that there isn't a place for it, but but I was so convinced in my head that it was Belt. Oh, okay. And because it was Belt, my brain made up memories about the movie that Hmm. didn't exist. And so when I watched it, having those false memories of it, it completely changed the way that... So this is your fault. (laughs) I mean, sure, yeah. Memory is one's fault. Well, uh, I guess this can sort of... I mean, there's plenty of other stuff I'd like to talk about in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I guess more the, the... The goals of Libria was to destroy all, you know, art and beauty... And that, mm-hmm. you know, d- uh, destroying individualism, which I-, I would probably say that, I mean, if if nonviolence is a part of Belt, then just as much individualism is. Yeah. But it's, at least so far, there doesn't seem to be a precedent for individualism, individualism being able to exist uh, against full conformity without violence, or we should say without incident. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, Promare, even though maybe no one dies on camera, at least, but wait, people do die in in Promare as a result of the main character's actions. Well, here, <clears throat> yes. I mean, Leo, the the burnish merely living as they want to live, uh, is is making the bad people act worse. I mean, you... oh no, 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 but I mean, like, I mean, like, with their final resolution uh, at the end. Well, the okay, the final resolution, sure. That's what I'm getting at, because that's like the main goal. That's the thing that they're pushing towards, and that's the thing that establishes their new world. Okay, so it's saving everyone versus... Okay, John Preston is not 
<laughs> he he's not uh, Gallo. So yes. we, we can say that clearly. John Preston is not someone who even has his own belief system at any point in this movie. He he's yeah. all he's getting overwhelmed with his previous belief system completely falling apart. And when he uh, is exposed to the emotions that he's been kept from, he reacts to them like a child, like they overwhelm him completely. Mm-hmm. In particular, the sorrow at that uh, lady getting executed. And then shortly after that, his his uh, rage at them betraying him, which I mean, betrayal runs throughout this movie. In a way, Errol Partridge kind of betrays John Preston when he, uh, you know, is keeping the art and definitely a part of the resistance. So the movie starts off with him learning my, well, uh, like they said, he doesn't know what friend means, but his closest friend betrays him. Yeah. And he does what he's supposed to do and gets rid of the threat even though he doesn't want to. But Errol kind of forces his hand by drawing his gun. Because he's like, well, he's going to make it to where it's either me or him. I'm going to try to give him the chance to go quietly. But in this world, going quietly means execution. So why wouldn't he, uh, you know, life make or death? Quick. Okay, well, I'm going to try to stop you from killing me. Then the only way I can do that is to kill you back because you're a grandma ton cleric. You're the most deadly living being, so I my best chance is to end you. And this is what I'm talking about, where it's like, Batman is overpowered. Batman has to be overpowered in order to not kill people. Right. John Preston and Errol Partridge, as strong as they are, they are not overpowered. Hmm. Whereas, you it's... know, the Burnish get to use their own rules in Promare, you know, the, the, the rules in their own universe. If, if it was, if it turned out that the heat from the burnish was uh, a little more deadly, the movie would be a little different. Yeah. So I think because, okay, because, uh, evil things like communism have not yet fallen without incident. I think equilibrium is more about this is what happens. It's, uh, I guess, the word I used previously. You said, what was it? It was like a $10 word, apotropaic, where oh, it's, it, yeah. you know, it's warning, <laughs> this is what happens. Yes. So equilibrium, the the name, I mean, is downright, I mean, it's kind of obvious what mm-hmm. it's referring to. If uh, the world of equilibrium would be... Uh, placed onto a yin and yang what Libria thinks they are doing is getting rid of the yin and yang getting rid of the light and the dark but what they're actually doing is going 100% onto one side and not even embracing the entirety of it so they're going 100% order with no chaos which uh, let's see where I, I wrote this down somewhere, but it's almost like the resistance is trying to reestablish a little more chaos because without chaos, uh, here, let's see. Yeah. Emotion is chaos. Yeah. He's saying you have to learn to control your emotions. He's like, once you start to feel again, 
Now the challenge is going to be learning to control them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and at first, John is so overwhelmed by his emotion that he can barely move. Like he he's it's it's almost like he's in terror at what's happening to him. Like when he tears off the uh uh the the covering on his window to just yeah. see the the light and the rain hitting the window and it's just like it paralyzes him with like the feeling of melancholy which he's never felt before. That's how he is shortly after going off of it. And then eventually he's able to move and act while feeling a full range of emotions. But he's still reacting reacting to them very strongly. So, like, he can't stop his anger from making him go on a vengeance spree through a whole bunch of people. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh... Uh... But the thing is, his son, who has been off of it for a long time, is very much in control of it, to the point where he's able to fool everyone into thinking he's on it. And his reasoning is similar to John's, where it's like someone was killed unjustly who didn't deserve it, but his son doesn't go on a violent rampage. In fact, his son is doing exactly what a more capable John Preston would do, which would be to play the game until you can gradually get things to work out in your favor. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think John Preston has that luxury because he's not, he's not equipped enough for it. Very, very much. Equilibrium is more about John being a victim. <laughs> like this is a horrible thing happening to this man. <laughs> and, uh, that's an interesting way to put it. Yes. Well, and, uh, the, the people who he kills, after a certain point, he stops killing people that have that are innocent. He doesn't kill any, in, in any innocent people after a certain point, which there is a difference there. I mean, you know, uh, killing's bad regardless, and who decides what is what innocent is. But yeah, uh, I guess I'm saying I'm not making the argument that it's belt. I mean, you were the one who really wanted to watch it. So I was like, okay, well, let's do this. It could be an interesting conversation, which I think it is. But yeah. uh, the the thing is, I don't think John Preston is a belt hero. Mm -mm. But the themes saying you need chaos, you need to feel you cannot just have order. Um, I think kind of fit in. Like, yeah, I, I and I think that that's why I was burning, uh, and I also how they say like how the um the the speech of father it never ends with it, you think he's about to say finally we are. I was thinking, and I'm sure that's the point. Thinking he's going to say we are free, but he never says we are free. He says we are home, and mm. you know you want to have you want to have uh, strong kids, not safe kids, as they say, and him establishing himself as father, calling himself the father, everyone else is supposed to refer to him as such. He wants mm -hmm. everyone to be safe, and he doesn't want anyone to die. But in order to do that, he has to keep killing anyone that gets out of line. But, uh, yeah, I'm just saying, his argument is security, it's safety. 
Yeah. <clears throat> and I would say that, like, you said that the themes kind of line up with Belt, and Belt is what we have decided is a new genre. Uh, just well, for those I, I wouldn't who say, don't I'd know. say it's a, it's a new uh, distinction of a genre yeah. that exists regardless as to whether or not we say it exists. Yeah. Um, but what it is, is it's, it's named after the most iconic moment of, uh, well, of Gurren Lagann. Well, I don't know. There's a whole lot of those, but, uh, Our favorite moment. My, yeah, <laughs> One of my our favorite, favorite moment. moments. <laughs> the, let There's me see you grit moments. those teeth. Yes, from Gurren Lagann. Uh, and it's, you know, when Kamina belts Simone a new one. Uh, but right. pretty much it is a violent optimism and it we have it characterized into three pillars. Um, yeah, and, and the the thing there is there is violence right there. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's it's not literally nonviolence, but killing <laughs> is a thing yes. that bad people do. And often these things that fall into this genre are against killing. Like, the hero doesn't kill the vil- villain at the end, which I think is an unfortunate thing that has become common as a result of, uh, well, I guess just the the typical American Hollywood action film ends with the villain being killed at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a difference between the character is an immediate threat and the only way we can stop them is to kill them and... He has now been disarmed, and in some ways, even if maybe he's manipulative, begging for his life. <laughs> and in equ- Equilibrium, he does that, and Preston executes him. Mm-hmm. So, I think that is where it it kind of uh, ruins its chances of being a part of this genre. But yeah. I still don't see it as cynical, I guess I would say. Whereas... I'm very anti-cynicism. I I don't think it... I think you leave your audience worse than you found them when you have a message of cynicism or nihilism or, uh, you know, pointlessness, anything like that. And Mm. I don't think this has this. I think it's, like I said, it's apotropaic where it says this is how bad things can get if you go down the path of control and... um, uh, What's the word? abstinence from feelings i guess because there's a lot that can be gained and and the movie establishes this it establishes finding balance you know and an equilibrium of sorts where uh hmm. those who feel those who are going to feel some of them have to take on the responsibility of not feeling sometimes but right. it's not something you just take a drug for it's something you have to learn you have to steal <clears throat> yourself you have to grow up yeah and uh uh, like stoicism, which is not what most people think it is. I, I'm unsure where people get the idea that stoicism is not feeling. What classifies stoicism is literally viewing the world as it is, not as you would like it to be. Not saying you don't want things to be better, but you live, you're able to uh, uh, accept the world that you live in. It's like, I, I don't mm-hmm. live in a perfect world. This world isn't perfect. I would like things to be better. That's like the root of stoicism. And, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, other stuff that comes out of that. I was, I was interested to see if, uh, if what you were studying about stoicism would come up in this, um, in this conversation. 
Yes, because this is very much like a perverse form of uh, what people think Stoicism is. Yeah. Uh, whereas, Sto- like, Libria is based on a lie. Like, it, it's basically saying that everything is peaceful now and no one has to die, even though in order to keep anyone from dying, we have to murder tons of people with no trial yeah. because they did a thing that we decided was the greatest sin. <clears throat> also, it uh, 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 the world of Libria, like the Soviet Union, um, normalized and encouraged what Dante would consider the worst sin of all, being betrayal. Like, betrayers are at the lowest circle of hell. Flank, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Satan, who is a betrayer, is flanked by, uh, who was it? It was um, Judas and Judas, uh, no, and, so, Judas uh, and Brutus. It was Judas, Brutus, and Cassius. Yes! I always forget about Cassius. Because all yeah. three of them were in <clears throat> Satan's three mouths. Yes. Man, the Divine Comedy is a good one, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a good one. It a lot of imagery. Yeah, dude, the imagery is so good. I I love the. I don't know if it really took off, but there was a sort of short-lived meme about Bible accurate angels. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's like they're just they're just eldritch horrors. <laughs> it's like you cannot look upon them. <laughs> the one that I saw was the. Uh, Bible accurate angels aren't real. They can't hurt you. <laughs> and then it's like Bible accurate angels, and it's just the cherub, which is the lowest form. And the cherub is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> like it's got like a fetus at the middle, but around it are like these spinning wheels and like just light exploding from it. It's um, I think Bayonetta probably has the most Bible accurate angels. Like they are horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and the cherubs the cherubs look like that only instead of uh the baby at the middle it's like a a, a sculpture of like a cherub face it's but it's like got a the renaissance cherub yeah but it's like it's got the golden wheels around it but anyway yeah. <clears throat> not that bayonetta is biblically accurate in no. any <laughs> other capacity <laughs> uh n- n- no def- definitely not but the way they designed the angels was like yeah um they scary but like, here we go. Uh, so, yes. So, but betrayal is normalized, and so so much to the point where there can be no family dynamic. Where uh, Preston's son, before you know that he's off the uh, the prosium and and actually a good guy, he is constantly emasculating his father because he's checking on his father. Saying, you know, mm-hmm. are you doing this? What are you up to? What are you doing? And that's um, not a healthy dynamic. <laughs> when he first... W- I'm, I remember that feeling, because I had forgotten about this moment. And so, was, But when he walks in the house and uh, his son just goes, John? <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh-huh. Just, I was like, what's like- this creep? <laughs> 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 what is going on here? Yeah, that that made me profoundly uncomfortable. Basically, yeah. every time it happens. I mean, when you know how it ends, it's less so. But in the moment, I was like, "This is uh, this is very unsettling, and I don't like where this is going." But uh, I like the part where he, you know, he's looking at the, um, I guess the the injector of his, mm-hmm. like his son's injector or whatever, and. 
you know, you don't hear what he literally what he's thinking, but he's he's probably just kind of lost in thought. There's a bunch of things he could be thinking about. But then his mm-hmm. son is like, what are you doing? And his son sounds different than he normally does, probably because he was just asleep and now he's really scared about something. You know, you mm-hmm. learn after the fact. But then he also says night dad. He calls him dad instead of calling him John. Yeah. And John notices it. But you kind of notice that he, he sort of can't think anything of it because right now his brain is a bit of a mess. Yes. Like, for the rest of this movie. As soon as he stops taking that one dose, he's just falling apart for the duration of it. <laughs> but, uh, well, and then he kind of bounces back far into the other direction once they push him. And, he, you know, he says, not without incident. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's when he goes full on unfeeling killing machine. But there's, uh, I, I I just th- this whole thing where it's like everyone's an informant and no one has any loyalty to the to even their immediate family, which I think, you know, there's a hierarchy of things you have loyalty to and your immediate family or w- when the nation requires your uh, allegiance to be or to have the nation higher than your immediate family. That's when it's doomed to fail. Yes. Like that that's when it can no longer sustain itself. Like <laughs> there has to be a point where nah uh I'm probably going to defend my family before I do anything for the country. Yeah. Uh so th- you know there there's just and, and it's like a uh not not um not taboo. What's the word I'm thinking of? It's like a a certain tenet that I don't know. I can't think of the word, but it's like I keep thinking taboo. That's not right. It's it's like once once it's beyond the pale. Like this is how you can tell it's beyond the pale. Like that's one of those things where it's like you have to inform on your family members. Oh yeah, it's canary in a coal mine. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Wasn't the exact word I'm looking for, but it's a good visual. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> I think the, the message and, and the events, the things that happen are, are I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to say that this is the same level of religious experience that I would get from something like Gurren Lagann, mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is very much, uh, placed itself in the material, material world while having a more philosophical message, whereas something like Gurren Lagann is philosophical at every level. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is full-on myth. Um, oh, and just for people who are listening, <clears throat> I, in particular, don't consider myth to be untrue, per se. Uh, anyone who's read Joseph Campbell... Who was uh, I think he was in the eighties or nineties was when he was most most prevalent, but he s- said that there's this joke where he's like myths are other people's religions is how the the saying goes, but it's like mm. for a moment look at your own religion as myth, and you'll actually notice that the the myth is the truest part, 
Mm. And the uh, material, I mean, myth is a representation any more than material is a representation. I mean, um, just going off of how we have traced back things that have evolved into existence, uh, most things came before eyes. Eyes were sort of a late thing that was evolved. So, like, uh, beings' ability to see the way that we see came long after things. So, like, the thing we're seeing, we're we're just getting a representation of it, and we we came up with it recently. Yeah. So, uh, um, I'm I'm not saying <laughs> this. This is where I get into my weird hippie stuff, but. It's it's like, <laughs> I, I I guess I would say when you know Santa Claus and vampires are real. Just they are not real in the material way, but vampirism yeah. is absolutely something that has plagued humanity, and you yeah. know, uh, Santa Claus is absolutely a presence that, that exists. That has plagued humanity. <laughs> Breaking into our houses every single year. How does he do it so fast? But yeah, uh, the, the the thing is, the joke is funny because you're placing something spiritual and mythical into the material world. And right. that's why it's funny, because it doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense and vice versa. But uh, the unfortunate thing is, I think the modern uh, Western world has gotten confused and thinks the joke is, is true. Where it's like, well, there is only the material world. Now, uh, equilibrium is a product of that, but equilibrium seems to be strangely attuned to some kind of uh, mysticism. I mean, when he's <clears throat> in that room full of just things that would be contraband, I guess, you know, he's in a room full of contraband, and he's just looking at the little trinkets, he's feeling all of the textures. I mean, when he first takes off his gloves and he's just feeling things, and they say, you know, feeling, it's not just emotion. It's sense offender. So it's using your senses. It's any sensation, any phenomenon is outlawed. And, uh, you know, that is kind of your, that is your attachment to the world that isn't material. So, you know, pure, full-on worship of uh, the scientific and the material is what creates a world like Libria. And, I mean, uh, the Soviet Union, the only... uh, I guess belief system you could have was the Soviet Union. Like you couldn't everything else was banned. Every every other religion that that couldn't exist. You know, that that's the old stuff. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh so <clears throat> when he's in that room full of contraband and he's just looking at stuff, he's feeling the texture, looking at all the colors, he does that little uh snow globe thing and then the music hits him. Mm. And I think even the most hardcore atheist has to say there's something going on with music. Mm-hmm. Like there's something up there. Something... Checkmate atheist. <laughs> there's something. <laughs> like there's something that seems beyond the material with how music affects us. Now I know there's some people that say they don't like music, and maybe some people don't. Uh, and then there's you know deaf people, but. <laughs> Music is vibrations. Just gonna throw those off the cuff. Well, it's not like they're gonna hear me do it. Oh god! <laughs> I say now this, we're in trouble. I say <laughs> with who? 
who are we in trouble with? There's, there's, there's also the thing where uh, I hate this. I hate adding this uh, caveat to when I make comments like that because I think the comments are fine on their own. But I come from a family of people who lose their hearing very quickly. So it's something that I'm heading for, which is why I have this kind of um, this, this dark humor. I have, I have a dark humor feeling about uh, hearing. And I mean, I have terrible tinnitus. My ears ring all the time and I can't hear things very clearly overall, which is why I think it's ironic that in college I was the sound guy for all of our projects. (laughs) I was like, man, the NFL draft made some real slip ups this year. But, uh, yeah. So he, he gets completely overwhelmed by the music. Like, I mean, you know, that, that quick zoom into his eyes, when he mm-hmm. first hears it and it's like he's never heard music in his whole life and it just com- it, it, i keep saying it overwhelms him but it does that's what it really like that would be such a spiritual experience yes and that's the funny thing about music is that uh you have to destroy music if mm-hmm. you're going to go as uh, over the top as libria has now the soviet union you knew you still needed music it was just, you need to have this specific kind of music. It needs to be done like this. And this is the only kind. But they, they got that you still needed music. That's how you can unite people. I mean, the Soviet mm-hmm. uh, national anthem is it's pretty baller. Like, it, it's a banger, man. <laughs> so, like, you, you get the idea. It's like, yeah, I can see people getting caught up in this. Whereas with Libria, instead of using music, they just use a drug. And, you know, violence, which the Soviet Union also used... Uh, that's a good lubricant <laughs> on getting people to stay in line, at least for a little while. Uh, we we learned that that doesn't that's not a good long term solution. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. Where was I going with this? <laughs> uh, oh yeah, music saying, being a spiritual experience, and there's something going on with music. That's yes, where it all started. And, and like uh, how Libria has to fall from within. Because mm. they have the overwhelming military force because they, uh, you know, uh, are materialistic. So they know how to make the best weapons of war. You know, this will this will shred flesh the best. But yeah, it always falls from from within, just like every regime. I mean, um, as much as, as. As much as plenty of Americans would like to think so, we are not. 100% responsible for the Soviets getting defeated. Most of that is the Soviets' fault. <laughs> they uh, kind of did that one to themselves. <clears throat> um, but yeah. The, the, where, God, where was I going with this? Yeah, so like, Rumble, R- Rome crumbled from within. Rumble. <laughs> Rome crumbled from within. Uh, because Rumble it, chromed um, from within. <laughs> oh. Chrome Rome. It's, it's future Rome. Okay, so you know how there's like people like to add Neo before the name of a city to make it, it cool, like Neo Tokyo? Yeah. Like that that's the cool future version? No, we're not getting Neo Rome. We're getting Chrome Rome. That's what New Rome <laughs> is going to be called. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Rome was spread so thin and so big that it its people no longer had an identity. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a, a the bubble burst where it's like we're, we're spread too thin. This Roman is nothing like this Roman. They have nothing in common. But uh, with Libria, it was like 
all they can do is conserve. All they can do is try to keep more things from getting in there. And and they make that comment about once we, you know, eventually there will be no more contraband to burn. What did that leave for men like us <laughs> being uh, the clerics? <clears throat> and nothing really comes of that. Yeah, Which, they kept alluding to it, too. Yes. But, well, but I think the point was you can't destroy all of that stuff. You know, you can destroy the Mona Lisa, but that's one thing. And mm-hmm. people are most likely just going to create more. I mean, even just that that ribbon that he had. Like, just that little bit of color and material and texture. That it already exists, you can't destroy the contraband. Yeah, the shreds of <clears throat> humanity. People will find them. And, I mean... Uh, even if when looking at brutalist architecture, people find that appealing in an artistic way. Brutalist architecture was like, you know, the Soviet bloc style where it was <clears throat> big, obvious shapes and hard angles. And, and its goal was to try to try to get rid of, uh, you know, the artistic side of things. But in itself, it is art in that it's it's created something new that that takes a, a skill to create. And uh, has its own, like, it, it is a style of architecture. So it's like, sorry, man, that's kind of an unwinnable battle. <clears throat> you know, minimalism <laughs> is is an art style. It is a style, the, the attempt at removing all style. It just reminds me of the, the kink shaming is my kink. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> but but I mean, it, it it really is like on a humanity level scale. Like some people will enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh. Yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> uh, but yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, there, there's a there. Okay, so there's let's see one, two. There's kind of three things that I could talk about. Do you have something else to add? I've been kind of running for a little bit. Not much. I, I, I don't have much to, much more to say that I haven't already. I think that... Is your main problem one... with the fact that it's a violent revolution? Because that's a fine problem I th- to have. I think that it was because, like, I was so convinced in my head that it was built based on my memory of the themes gotcha. that the execution put <clears throat> me off. Um, I think, uh, much like the scene which clearly the movie is not going for shock value otherwise it would have shown you in gruesome detail the execution of those hostages the ex or not hostages the execution of the prisoners the execution of the dogs it would have shown that full detail it has an r rating it could yeah yeah but that's clearly not its goal is to be shocking it's to be depressing yeah it was a very it was a very pg-13 movie uh for being r yeah, well, in in because it's not gratuitous. It, it's the the goal is to not gross you out yeah. or uh you know overwhelm you. It's not a slasher or anything. Yeah. But I I think there's <clears throat> so the scene at that lineup where they execute those insurgents was really 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 good. That might be my new favorite scene of the movie because John. Or uh, 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 what was what was the name of his his new partner, the one that, you know, it was saying I told you I'd make my career off of you. 
I can't remember his Here. name. Let me look it up because I don't want to keep calling him John's partner. I think it's funny that I was able to remember Errol Partridge. Yeah, because when you first said that name, I was like, I have no idea who, who that person is. That? is. <laughs> Andrew Brandt. Oh, wow. I I forgot that this was Tay Diggs. Yo. What? He's a um a Broadway actor. And I mean he was he he was the the cat in the the My Little Pony movie. <laughs> he's got a great singing voice. Also, man, he's aged well. Uh <clears throat> So his his whole thing cuz he's trying to make John he's testing John just like mm-hmm. everyone in this world is constantly testing each other. Uh, a good movie to watch to uh, really hammer home the absurdity of the Soviet Union would be the death of Stalin, because first of all, the movie's fantastic and hilarious while being very, very dark. But every single scene has everyone testing each other, and it's really funny in a very dry way. But this is him testing John and kind of trying to see if John will, uh, you know, break or... Uh, you know, go through with executing these guys, you know, maybe make sure it's like, let's see, is there something going on here? I haven't seen him kill anyone in a while because he stopped killing people. As soon as he went off the drug, he couldn't do it mm-hmm. anymore. When that guy falls on him, who like just got shot. Yeah. Once again, he he's getting like overwhelmed at him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so that seems really intense, but he's giving looks to one of the prisoners and the prisoner shakes his head. And you think, the prisoner, you know, especially when you're uh, a teenager watching this, you think the prisoner doesn't want to die. That's his main thing. The prisoner knows knows he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Or I should say the insurgent. I guess they weren't prisoners. But the insurgent knows he's going to die. And he's shaking his head because he knows that John is off his dose. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't want John to do it. He's saying, you shouldn't do it. Let someone else do it. We know we're going to die. So that, and you know, that's when he nods his head, you know, Mm -hmm. he's basically saying, don't worry about it. This is going to destroy your conscience. And I thought that was a really good scene because that was, that was a really good moment. That is kind of probably that that's probably the best moment of sacrifice in the movie Mm -hmm. because, uh, John, the, the, the sacrificing that John makes throughout the movie isn't so obvious or dramatic, but he does lose a lot. Like he, he loses his uh, partner. He lose. I mean, he loses his whole belief system. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're not so sure it's been replaced by anything because right now he's, he's just getting overwhelmed with feeling from everything, <laughs> but you get the feeling that what, what will replace what he has destroyed so okay john is more like an apocalypse it's more like the comeuppance it's it's the plague for this society that has gone on for too long like doing these evil things he's basically an angel of death but him being the focus yeah him being the focus and the protagonist is what maybe makes things seem a bit more cynical and more like they're encouraging revenge because what becomes of John at the end, you don't really know. Uh, if 
you get the feeling it probably shouldn't be a Simone situation, where Simone is the hero of the resistance, uh, but but Simone, you know, gets gets placed as like the new king or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, interestingly enough, remember that Simone kills the Spiral King. Yeah. So. But they uh, bring his head back. Sure. (laughs) The Spiral King still has a legacy after the fact. But the Spiral King also is not begging for his life. And the Spiral King's goal is to find someone strong enough to kill him. Because then they'll have a chance against the anti-Spiral. Uh, we're talking yeah. about Gurren Lagann again, in case you don't know what Gurren Lagann is. But, uh, yeah, but which... it, it, it is the template, so it comes up in basically every episode. Yes. Uh, and I shouldn't say template. It, it's more like just it's our favorite, so we bring it up a lot. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's really good. Yes. Uh, but, but Best yeah, 26 well, episodes of your life. There's a couple stinkers in there. Not stinkers, but just weaker. Yeah, uh, the the superiority of the pacing in Kill a Kill, which is what that same team makes after the fact, shows you that they got better, which is what mm-hmm. makes it obvious that this wasn't perfect. Um, I think, unfortunately, Last Kill a Kill is unable to reach the same heights that uh, Gurren Lagann does. But it, I, I would say that it is it is better made. But anyway, mm-hmm. we're getting off topic. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we do that every time. We're spiraling. This is the spiral yeah. hour. But uh, yeah, so uh, with equilibrium, the the idea that John Preston is an angel of of death and the story is apotropaic is what makes me have no qualms with recommending and kind of endorsing its message because the message is not use violence to stop the bad people because that's what the bad people are doing in the story. And that's the problem. Right. They're using, uh, you know, force and, um, uh, what's the word? Murder. Well, (laughs) um, (laughs) coercion. Yes. Yes. Uh, forcing people to do things through the threat of violence. But what's interesting is that maybe it's not so much coercion because the drug keeps them from feeling anything either way about them living or dying, which is exactly what makes them harmless. That's what makes them, you know, no reason to kill them. They're not a threat. They have no feelings as to whether they live or die. But as soon as the people who uh, can make the conscious decision that I'm willing to die for this, they are a problem. Yeah. And uh, one line I really liked, and uh, when it it gets uh, brought back up, after the fact, I think they, they took the weakest part of it, where, um, I can't remember her name, uh, the lady he was talking to, Errol's uh, old lover. Mary. Mary, yes. Mary O'Brien. So when, when he's talking to Mary, <clears throat> and she's like, without, I think it was like, without love, without something else, and then without sorrow, uh, life is just a ticking clock. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just waiting to die if you aren't experiencing life itself. If you aren't living, I guess, how you could say it. I was like, that's a great line. But the best part of that is without sorrow, uh, it it was breath. It was without sorrow, breath is a ticking clock. Mm. And um, I guess that one should have more impact because the whole argument for Libria is that we have gotten rid of sorrow, hatred, and war, it was just at the cost of 
all of the, uh, well, g- good things, but uh, there is good in sorrow. Like, it, it is good to suffer. Like, that, that's, that's part of how people become good. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, going back to biblical, that's, that's biblical. Mm-hmm. I mean, so one of the, one of the best things you'll ever learn in your life is that life is suffering. Mm-hmm. Happiness is temporary. What you, what you want more well, only than Only the happiness. Soviet Union is forever. <laughs> um, but yeah. And I, I would say that uh, what I've learned is that the, the root of all evil is boredom. Uh, mm. People do horrible things when they're bored. Like, you could argue that Columbine was the result of boredom. When there's when it when it feels like there's nothing to do, or, or and you know uh, everything is is handled or whatever, when things are just static, you humans will do anything they can to make it dynamic, including yeah. committing great acts of violence. When there's nothing to do, anything will be the best option. Yes, like you'll just break something, just to get just just to get something. So, oh man, and I mean uh, Libra is very in- boring. <laughs> You remember when I was grounded for like two months? Good lord! I, like had cabin fever. <laughs> yeah, and you were setting things on fire. Yeah, in the basement. That was a bad idea. Indoors, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, mm. It's it's not good. It's not good for you. Yeah, boredom's bad. <clears throat> Find a cause to fight for. Well, and, and just find a reason to live. Find some kind of excitement. Find, yeah. find the the opposition to boredom because I don't think boredom is. Uh, I don't, there's not a good side to boredom. There, the 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 good thing about a lack of things happening per se is you know uh, uh, silence and peace or whatever. That's clarity, when I think yeah. yeah clarity. I think that's when humans, especially modern humans, uh, can. You'll, it's not that there's silence. It's, it's that you're getting rid of the, the, the noise, and then you can kind of return to the things you, you were missing. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some relationship with nature, which Libria has none. There is no nature in Libria. Uh, yeah. This is like, this, this is humi- humanity completely quarantining itself off from any, any form of nature, because nature is chaos. Uh... <clears throat> You know, ironically, nature being uh, something that people see as orderly. You know, everything's in order in nature. The the animals all, you know, they, they don't do anything other than do the things that that animal does. But it is chaos. There's constantly things happening, happening in nature. It's full of life. Yeah. I mean, uh, you go out into nature and it's like, wow, this is a lively place. <laughs> like, uh, And also, nature just inspires like creativity it inspires art like people go into the woods and things like that to get inspiration right and uh also i would argue people have it uh, have it wrong when they see humanity as something separate from nature mm-hmm. i mean we we are the product of nature Na- nature created humans and and uh, i don't i also don't think there's any divide between nature and divinity you know if you if you're saying that uh, humans being made in the image of God, you know, that's what makes us different. We are definitely are different, but 
everything was kind of made in the image of God. I guess I would say. Because everything was created mm-hmm. by one God. Um, so, you know, everything is in its place when humanity is doing all these weird things that we do. That, that is, seems so different from the rest of the animal kingdom. Uh, I mean, we, we, we customize nature, but we are a part of nature. Like, you know, we, we breed, we, we breed animals and, uh, yeah. That, and that domesticate part, and yeah. Right. And, and I like that part. Well, I just, I don't like that part in the movie where they're killing <laughs> the dogs, but it, it makes the point. <laughs> it makes the point where, where it's like Libria has severed its bond, not just with human nature, but, but with all of nature, you know, there, there's no bonding with uh, animals. There's no relationship there, which is uh, like we're inseparable, which is why I think when we ever colonize Mars, we're probably going to be bringing our dogs and cats with us. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because like most people to some form of, to, to some degree have like a positive reaction when it comes to animals. Yeah, I I would say it has to be some sort of trauma that keeps them from that. Like, so, yeah. some trauma early on that has given them uh, maybe PTSD or something like that. Something's happened where they, they have an adverse reaction to it. Uh, yeah. You know, or there's just people who have s- such strong uh, allergic reactions that they can't be around them. But <clears> most <throat> of those people want to be around them. Yes! It's like, I want it because I'm not allowed. Yeah. Uh, but, like, yeah. Uh, um, so, that scene, there's a lot of just scenes in this movie that are there to kind of establish world building. Mm-hmm. It's Preston going through, you know, his, uh, his terrible set of events that is happening to him. His but, terrible enlightenment. He, yes, his, his his very painful descent into into madness. But like <laughs> he he keeps getting these um, completely self contained scenes where people are looking at him like, "What? What is it, cleric? You know, something like that happens, and he, yeah. you know, he he has to give some kind of excuse for why he's doing something. There's this you know just there's this funny little anthology of those that happens halfway through the movie. Almost, uh, I gotta take this dog to get a test for I gotta disease. do this. Uh, he's like, yeah, if there's a, an epidemic in the nether, uh, we should probably know about it. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but no one questions him because he's in a, a position of power. Like, dude, you just want to pet a dog. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, just keep it from being executed. But, like, <laughs> the, yeah, the, there's a, the whole thing with, like, him rearranging his desk... And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, you didn't like the way. I love that scene. It's so funny. Like, he's like, he's like, uh, um, you didn't like it before. And he's like, I had no feelings about it either way. I'm just trying to optimize. optimize. Yeah, I'm trying to optimize. And that's such a weird thing, because think about, like, efficiency. Why would you desire efficiency? You think a sloth has any opinions about efficiency? No. Yes, absolutely it does. <laughs> Sloths are absolutely the most efficient version of themselves so far. But like <laughs> the, the, you can't you can't okay, you can't get things efficient without chaos. 
chaos has to enter in order to break things up, in order to burn away the deadwood. It's like, no, why are we doing this this way? It's like, well, because we've always done it that way. It's like, that's a terrible reason. Yeah. Restart. Start from the beginning. uh, That that reminds me of a quote that I heard recently, which is um, tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. (laughs) That's not bad. It's a good one. Yeah, it it just reminds me, like, people doing things just because that's how they've always been done. You talking about, like, chaos coming and you have to switch things up to make things better. Every corporation that becomes massive eventually falls because it becomes too rigid. Because what created Mm -hmm. the success to begin with was chaos. It was was someone with a crazy idea, some unhinged lunatic figured out something that we could do. And it was successful. The world figured out it needed something. I mean, inventors are typically very uh, eccentric people. I mean, some madman created computers, and here we are. Yeah. And, like, I mean, electricity. Everyone involved in electricity was a lunatic. (laughs) Like, Ben Franklin getting that key electrocuted. It's like, what are you doing, Ben? (laughs) <laughs> what have you been reading? And then, like, you just look into stuff about, like, Tesla and, uh, you know, everyone's favorite bad guy being Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was not some stuffy suit. St- Thomas Edison was also a crazy person. Like, the kind of stuff he talks about with his, like, morning routine and, like, the way that he thought about things. It's like, these are all, th- th- these are not the same as as most of the other ones we've seen. So that person will normally start something like that, and then they will need people around them to manage them in order to keep some kind of direction. But then once to that person leaves, yes, once that person leaves or quits or dies, what will happen is it will slowly fall apart because the people who are there are the bean counters, the ones mm-hmm. who are who are too conservative for the good of uh, the good of everything else. I mean. The founding fathers were completely off the rails. <laughs> like, you want to, like, yes, enlightenment, and they had their principles and stuff, but there are so many stories of just, like, they're absolute madmen. Every single one of them does, does something just profoundly absurd in all of their backgrounds. Yeah. And then <laughs> we lionize them as like the the stoic the, the, this uh the stoic round table, and it's like this was a ragtag group of madmen. Like that's all it was. So and that's typically how things start because chaos creates things. Creation is chaos. Yeah. And then maintenance is uh, order, and you need both. Uh, even though it seems like equilibrium seems to be against order, it is. Uh, against, I mean, it's it's called equilibrium. It's against extremism. You know, I mean, mm. I know it ends with a violent revolution, but the I problem... I don't think that it's necessarily against order. I mean, because even the resistance no, has I know. some I, that's sort what of... I was saying. I was saying okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. people think maybe it's like, oh, order's bad, you know, uh, it's some hippie message, but uh, it's it's against things that are unbalanced. And it's like... When he talks about the inevitability, if you just stop the supply for one day, which could have happened for any reason at any point in time, there's nothing to say that Libria was going to continue as it was because chaos happens whether humans want it to or not. 
So yeah. he's saying as soon as the supply is disrupted, the whole thing is going to fall apart inevitably, which that's what has happened to literally every regime, every empire. It just falls apart. Sorry, you were saying something else. I was. Uh, you were saying, because uh, I was saying it's it's against extremism. Oh, I was just saying that. Uh, <clears throat> I don't remember. I think that I was saying that it was uh, that even the resistance had structure, but that, then that was yes. way before you started talking about the. Well, yeah, uh, like uh, P- Preston goes from one extreme to another. Mm hmm. But everything else is kind of rebalancing around him. <clears throat> but, you know, th- there's the unfortunate reality that there's going to be this great turmoil every time one of these things falls. One of these, one, when something has gone on for too long without changing. And uh, if you want to get really freaked out, you can, can look into uh, Carl Jung, uh, his book, Eon. And it talks about, you know, there's... An eon, which I think is roughly 2,000 years. Every 2,000 years, uh, there's a major event that changes everything. Hmm. And 2,000 years ago was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Which, whether you, you know whether you b- believe in that or, or something else, or you believe in, in no higher power or anything like that, something happened 2,000 years ago centered around that person that changed everything. It, it uh, left its imp- yes. It left its imprint on all of humanity and human history. If if something wasn't, it, everything was a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. And what's very scary is we are two thousand years later for another picking. Yes, we are ripe for another apocalypse, <laughs> for another changing of the eons. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> if we want to get even more. Uh, is the Rona, baby? Oh well, uh, I doubt it's the Rona. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think, no, because we've think already had. I mean, we had the Black Plague before we had the Rona, <laughs> and that that didn't quite pull it off. But like, uh, even though the Black Plague wasn't world worldwide, so hmm. Uh, that being said, I, I have a feeling by the time I manage to edit this and get it out there, the Rona will have passed. Yeah, most likely. But um. <clears throat> Gosh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. If you want to get even deeper, even more into... All right, let's back this up. <laughs> then uh, <laughs> you, you can look into uh, um, the stars and stuff. And, you know, the the uh, prevailing uh, constellation and how it changes every 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. It, there, there becomes a, a different primary const- constellation. And we're entering the, uh, I believe it's the Aquarius one. So we're, we're switching constellations. And if you're just going off of like the Bible and stuff like that, we're probably headed towards the Antichrist <laughs> pretty soon. And hot dog. Speaking of the Antichrist. Uh, oh boy, where's this going? <laughs> I can never remember his name, but it's, it's the guy who is father, technically. I never oh, remember yeah, the, that, the, that, that character's name because I just remember the the puppet, the the fake thing that he's mm-hmm. uh, posing as. 
So he is a fully integrated person. He he feels all of, he has the feelings. <clears throat> he understands order and chaos. He is very capable in a gunfight. I mean that that's he he has that fight for longer than uh uh Brant was able to have it. Oh like, man, Brant was just like a he gets taken down. And it's a passing moment. Right. And god that was such an impactful moment where it was like whoa, the difference there. But you could also say that Preston had to deal with him like that because he's that big of a threat. It's like, I have to end this quickly because I'm tired. I've taken damage. <clears throat> and, uh, you, you know, you also think Brant was really arrogant, very full of himself and also clearly feeling. Yes. He, I was going to say that because there are moments throughout the entire movie where he's smiling, where he looks like he's angry uh-huh. and like is acting angry. And, and he's, he's got a sense of humor. He's like yes. the only one who's like got jokes and stuff. And he winks like, yeah, Ooh, that was such a good moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he, he gets defeated pretty quickly, but then the fight with father is surprising. It's like, whoa, this guy's a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest threat that Preston has faced in a while. And, uh, so yeah, he, he seems like, like he has all of the knowledge. He's not, he hasn't drank the Kool-Aid. He is a demagogue, mm-hmm. but he's fully integrated and he's very capable. He has just chosen. He, I mean, he has chosen the side of evil because clearly he doesn't believe in what he's selling. He, he is like. Uh, I mean, I mean, he is he's the biggest threat to humanity. He he is a form of Antichrist. Like uh, he is the inversion of the self. Like it, it's very uh, reassuring to say that uh, evil cannot prevail because evil is unsustainable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, nihilism is impractical, all this other stuff. But there is the exception in an antichrist where it is everything fully integrated. Everything is, is running at full capacity in the opposite direction. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I just, I just thought that was interesting where it was like, Oh, he's not just some punk hiding behind a bunch of, a bunch of guns. It yeah, was pleading for his life. He was, he was, yes, it, it's, this is someone who earned this position. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, uh, you know, someone who who has order and chaos f- in full control. So, thought that was pretty cool. Anything? Or am I? Uh, not anything. Anyway, you want to talk about the uh, the three pillars? Yeah, we can do that. So, all here, right, three me... pillars of Bell. Let's go for it. Let me let me make sure that I have them pulled up because I don't want to forget any. Gotcha. I was going to say that uh, dog protection specifically seems to be an archetype for this kind of protagonist where it's uh, someone who is either reestablishing or becomes the vengeful force of nature. Hmm. There is some kind of they have like a familiar, I guess I would say. I mean, because because John Wick is the most obvious version of that archetype. But yeah the doom slayer from the doom games. He's doing all of this because they killed his rabbit. Just, you know, uh, wait, what? Yeah. 
uh, Daisy is Doom Guy's rabbit that was killed. In, in when? <clears throat> uh, before Doom one. You. What? I mean, this is part of the lore. Dude, Doom has a lot of lore, but most of it is is very simple and to the point. But like, it's got it's got some good like little bits of demonology in there, and like. All and then they stuff. just killed his rabbit, and then now he's just yeah, systematically, they, or not even systematically, dismantling hell. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and I want to say he's more of a spiritual force. It, it's more, you know, like in Star Wars, the 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 light rises to meet the darkness, where it's like, anytime hell is getting out of line, the Doomslayer arrives from a portal, from some other dimension where he just got their hell in line. So, it's more like he comes to cull hell. And what created him was a reaction to an act of cruelty. You know, just an innocent animal. Animal cruelty is is an interesting one. Uh, and this is kind of relevant to Equilibrium, because he talks about, uh, or Father says, can you do it now that you know that I feel? And that mm, almost yeah. makes him more deserving. You know, pe- people have this idea that uh, uh, you know, a, a, a criminal human, an evil human, is more deserving to be killed than, say, a a car- carnivorous animal who who ate a human. Mm-hmm. The carnivorous animal was hungry, <clears throat> and you know, uh, when people die in their homes, sometimes their pets will eat them, and it's because pets don't have this. Uh, I well, I don't want to say illusion. But what remains after someone dies is a body. It is just material. It's just flesh. And, you know, we are supposed to respect the dead and, and bury, bury our dead. And that has, you know, uh, benefits for health for other people. Mm-hmm. When bodies are stacking up, that's kind of a problem. But, um, you know, it, it is a, a ritual. And I think it's a good ritual. We should continue doing it. Funerals are good. And, and it helps with the grieving process. Mm-hmm. And animals also grieve. But... Animals are going to grieve for you, not for your body. Right. So if your dog eats your body when you, you know, had a heart attack in your home and no one checked on you for a while, the dog was probably hungry because you weren't feeding it and it can't get out of the house. And, uh, you know, no hard feelings because that's not you it was eating because what you are, you know, the self is, is not your body. Your body is a part of it. It's kind of an extension. But, you know. Here I am, 100% believing in souls, knowing mm-hmm. that not everyone listening would believe in that. Right. Th- there, there is a difference there. You know, you're not going to hold it against the pupper. Yeah. Uh, I could, and, yeah, I can see that with the, you know, uh, with a person who is a functioning human. And yes, it, it now almost makes them... More know, deserving because they're acting... As a carnivorous animal, when they clearly have the capacity to feel and to empathize and right, it is malevolence now. Yes, which uh, even bears aren't. You know, bears the scariest land mammal, the biggest. You know, you straight up don't win in a fight against a bear. They're just hungry, or Mm -hmm. they're trying to protect something themselves. Their mama bear, right? And and that's. You know, the the fact about animals is they don't come with the same baggage that we do. But the thing <laughs> is, what makes us capable 
of doing, uh, of, you know, uh, uh, in some way being closer to God, I guess is a very clunky and maybe incorrect way of saying it. But what, what makes us capable of progress, I guess I should say, is the fact that we can, we can uh, usher in oblivion. We are capable of that. A lion is not going to bring, a, bring about the end of the world. They can't do it. Humans can do it, which is what makes us capable of doing uh, much greater things. Yeah, than immeasurable a lion. good. Right. I mean, I mean, literally immeasurable because we keep breaking our own scales. Yeah. We keep uh, spiraling further into greater good than we had achieved before. Oh, uh, man. Dr. Not, Stone. And not without stumbling, not without incident. Right. But, you know, that's, that's the price that must be paid, is there is suffering and sorrow, and, and there is malevolence and darkness. And then there's also the opposite. Uh, but yeah, his, his plea saying, can you do it now that you know, it's like, dude, you're the only one that has this coming. Mm-hmm. Like, you are the one who has gotten yourself killed. All of the guards are doped up. They're a cog in the machine, they have been robbed of their humanity. So, even though you can definitely tell Preston doesn't want to kill them, because there is a side of that where it's like, if a day passes without them on the drug, they will snap back. Right. That's why, you know, he clearly tries to switch to nonviolence when he can. But when he has no chance, like when they have the two shotguns pointed at him, which is... Uh, probably the coolest scene in the movie <laughs> when, they, when they have the two shotguns pointed at him and then he flips them around and shotgun blasts them. He was going to die otherwise. Yeah. But <laughs> and that's also one of my favorite lines. The what? <laughs> Where they're like, those are pointed yeah. at him. Then they are pointed in the opposite direction and he, and he <laughs> blows both of them away and he's just like, it, it's not even like breathy. It's just what? It's like, what just happened? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then after that, he tries to be nonviolent. Uh, I mm-hmm. think until he has his, he goes into full on rage mode, and maybe he becomes a little uncompromising. Where he's like, "I've got to stop this now." But you think about what you were, what what he had to put down. I guess was an immediate threat to him that was not fully human at the time. They were basically an automaton. I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just saying yeah. the the difference here, the difference between this guy is is a, a malevolent evil who has brought oblivion upon himself in all that he has created. You know, a, a, a pharaoh, per se. And these people that are, you know, uh, part of a, a certain caste system, like the soldiers in an army it's hard to hate them right? because they are, they are part of a system. They are, uh, you know, there, there's a chain of command. I think things have, uh, you know, there, there are certain things that have gotten better over time where, you know, you have a, a, what, what do you call that? A, um, it, it's, you know, the kind of military we use where it's a, a divided up chain of command, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's different people are at different levels and maybe you can even um, check each other. It's, you know, a bit of a cycle, which is a good system to have. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, basically 
if someone is just following orders, it, it, it's typically, uh, it is a kind of, of defense for maybe them having done something that is uh, abhorrent in the long run. Not yeah, that and so it wasn't do, wrong, but yeah. Do you think that like now this is purely the hypothetical the movie obviously doesn't go past just that final smile when he's looking at the new revolution. Right. But do you think that in an established world after that revolution, uh do you think that those people would be tried or do you think that not Which people not, the ones that were doped up? Sorry, no, I shouldn't say him. Uh, I should say the, um, uh, like, Preston and the people who willingly murdered people. Wait, 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 you're saying, wait, the, the who and whom willingly murdered people? Uh, Preston and the people who willingly murdered <clears throat> other people when they could have just waited a day I, I would, for the dose I, to end. I would say not, because uh, there's there's different rules in war. As far as like people getting tried, uh, the the person who would come out uh, the worst if there was trials would have been father had he survived. Uh, even if he was kept alive, he probably would have been given the chair. Hmm. Um, or the incineration chamber. Sure, because I mean, you look at the way that uh, the officers of Nazi Germany got treated after the fact. It was they got put on trial. But they didn't really have a chance. Mm-hmm. It was decided. Um, <clears throat> and then there was the soldiers, not so much. The, the soldiers, it was, you know, you were a cog in the machine. That's not to say you should be the soldier in the cog in the machine. No, it's a very unfortunate place to be. Mm-hmm. If, you know, it turns out, you know, the are we the baddies? <laughs> you know, yeah. You don't want that to happen. You don't want to be in that situation. You you ought to be afraid of that. You should have a certain level of fear that something like that could be happening. Or it's like this thing I am aligned to uh, might be pure evil, and Always I'm following challenge orders. Challenge your own beliefs. Yeah, uh, and then of course within reason because when uh, Preston is able to challenge his own beliefs, he can't save everyone. He he can he can keep himself from exerting uh more force than is necessary like when he uses the the handles of the gun to incapacitate all those soldiers that surround him at that moment Mm -hmm. he has the drop on them so he's able to spare them they don't know what what's about to happen whereas when he has the shotguns pointed at him he's the one that's on his back leg and caught off guard so I, i i don't think he uh uses lethal force when he doesn't need to until Probably the very end, where he mm-hmm. has, to some degree, lost control of himself. So, I don't think Preston would uh, be in much trouble after the fact. I th- but and, and I'm thinking the people who really would not be in any trouble were the ones that were doped up. Like, oh, yeah, the soldiers, yeah. the soldiers, anything that they did... At the time, following orders, especially considering there's a drug involved that suppresses the one thing they would be able to use to keep it from happening, because mm-hmm. this is a very material story, whereas I still think uh, prosium is a metaphor for something that isn't a drug at all and just happens to people. I think we talked about this in the last episode, but, you know, uh, never mistake yourself 
for someone who wouldn't have gone along with the Nazi regime. Yeah. Like, mm, that's, first of all, it's not true. Just looking at statistics, yeah, you probably would have gone right along with it. And second of all, um, that is a bad thought to have. That That's a very, very you, you have a very confused ego who prob- that probably needs to be brought in check as best as you can get it. And bringing it in, you know, checking that ego doesn't necessarily mean you're not still going to do that after the fact. Mm-hmm. Just you have to recognize that because that's better for you in the long run. Uh, I think prosium is a metaphor for that, where these people are drugged on peace. They're, they're mm. drugged on order itself. You know, uh, security is what the prosium provides. They're, your home. Right, your home. And they're, they're, they're taking the, the state's supply of propaganda and, uh, you know, going through its, uh, um, I guess, required rituals. The required ritual of at the same time every day, everyone takes their dose. Mm-hmm. That is, you can take the drug out of it entirely and just take that as an example of a state ritual that must be participated in. Otherwise, we're going to suicide you. We're going to disappear you if you yeah. don't fall in line. So, I mean, you know, uh, in the Soviet Union, people, the, the one who stopped clapping first after a speech by Stalin was taken to the gulag because clearly they were critical. So people were clapping indefinitely and some elderly people were like falling over because they were trying to continue clapping because they didn't want to die. So uh, that that's I think that's a perfectly functional metaphor that is being told in a very material way. I think that... What that, a freaking... Ah. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, you look into... You look into Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia and uh, uh, Maoist China. Why, man. It's the worst we have... It's it's the worst we... It's the... Uh, it's the worst we've managed so far. Like... <laughs> it, it's funny how things continue to get better for humanity while having uh, uh, more extreme bumps in the road. What's the, what's that saying though? The, the brightest lights cast the darkest shadows or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is post enlightenment. This is when free speech becomes an idea around this time. I mean, I mean, Mm. this is more in response to the idea of free speech. This is when democracy is created. Uh, All of this stuff starts happening. And then we get the 20th century where it's like, all right, Here's the payment for all that good you just figured out. This is going to be the greatest loss of human life yet recorded, and it's going to be so much bigger than any previous. And then it's going to top itself by an exponential value almost immediately after. There's World War One, and then there's World War Two. And it's Gosh. like, uh, geez, man, can we relax? And it's like, well... Create nukes. Now you get to relax. It's like, create, make yourself capable of complete oblivion, and maybe you will be allowed peace. <sighs> yeah, I mean... What a uh, threat! That's how it goes, man. I mean, that, that's uh, it's, 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 a great, uh, it's a great metaphor for how you're supposed to 
become yourself. You, you should you should recognize and find the nuclear power within you. Yeah, what was the... I mean, we actually talked about this in the past, but, like, to be capable of great good, you also have to be capable of great evil. Yeah. I mean, uh, you are not peaceful if you are not dangerous first. You're just harmless. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be harmless, because that, first of all, makes you more likely to be a victim, makes you more likely to be one of these soldiers that just goes through with these horrible things. Mm-hmm. You must become dangerous, and, and that is the way you do it. The way you become peaceful is not by becoming peaceful. It's you must become dangerous. You have to find that within yourself. You have to, you know, face the darkness before you can be capable of light. And, uh, I mean, in Gurren Lagann, them finding out what they can do is what makes them, uh, 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 I guess, Simon being able to destroy the Spiral King and being able Mm -hmm. to defeat the Anti-Spiral, showing I'm stronger than you. I'm the bigger threat. That, from both the Spiral King and the Anti-Spiral, their response is, thanks, good. We needed that. (laughs) We needed someone stronger than us to ensure that this wasn't going to end up as bad as we ended it up. Yeah. So, I mean, mean, that sounds like, you know... uh, (laughs) Uh, I'm maybe advocating for a world where only the strong get the power, but uh, it's not just strong in you know physical or military might. It is yeah. you know of course I, I'm simplifying it, but it, it, it's everything else too. Uh, so yeah, um, I I don't think that equilibrium. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's get back to the three pillars. Good lord, I ran right <laughs> over that, didn't I? Um. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I was trying so, to end it. I'm like, we haven't even talked about it. But yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay. This. Mm. All right. So legacy and the hero driving change. And I would say, yeah, 100%. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything to do with his son. And, you know, the fact that a, a glorious revolution takes place. <laughs> yes. So that's that's a big check mark right there. And then we have potential and fighting for tomorrow. Now, I think that by the end of the movie, aside from the emotional realization, I think that Preston has kind of like realized his pretend his potential. Yes, he, he and is. he 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 has realized kind of like what we were just talking about. He has realized his nuclear power. Yeah. And so now he can become peaceful. So I think that the realization of his potential going forward is just going to be him realizing his peace. Yes, I, I'd like to think that that's the ending it, it goes toward. It's, it, it is not concrete. It doesn't say mm-hmm. that officially. But the, the movie doesn't seem concerned with that. The movie seems more concerned with this is how Rome falls. You know, this, right. this is how... Uh, the Soviet Union falls. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, this is <laughs> this is what you get when you go with a full-on totalitarian, you know, a, th- a f- full authoritarian society. This is what happens inevitably. Whereas yeah. Preston is kind of he's he's kind of caught in the middle <laughs> of everything. And uh, the the thing that puts the spark in him is his old partner, who mm-hmm. he executes. 
and then from that point on is forever changed. And the thing he does different from Errol is that he doesn't let himself get executed, which you think about that. Hmm. Uh, could John Preston have let himself be executed? Because they they do say, you know, uh, with, without the head, you know, the, the dragon without its head, it's going to it's going to fall apart. But. Father didn't necessarily need to be killed in order to bring the regime down. Even though, you know, the, the death of Stalin definitely helped the Soviet Union fall apart. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it would have furthered any cause if Preston was to have let himself die, because... Well, I mean, he could have he could have been a martyr of sorts, but no one knew who he was. It was like, the, the martyr was Errol Partridge. And it was it was the martyr for Preston, yeah, that made him change. Eh, interesting. I'm not sure about that one. Of course, the only thing that I can think of was would be that <clears throat> his son, like he would have become a martyr for his son. Oh, that would have been bad. He could have, he could have pushed his son down a darker path had he died, in that way. H- had he been killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then his son would have lost both parents, and that that's not a small thing. Yeah. Uh, especially at his son's age. So, you know, as as uh, intelligent and as, you know, cl- clearly has a good head on his shoulders, but um, that, that would have done a significant amount of damage, and you can't really say where that was going to go. So yeah. and you also get the feeling that Preston is acting in a way to protect his family, after a certain point in the story, like when he rushes home to check on everything, he, he, you know, uh, kind of, uh, I guess reconnecting with his feelings for his, his wife who he didn't protect originally. Who he literally like ushered into the firing chamber. Yes. Him reconnecting. Right. Him getting back in touch with that after that point, it's like he's he's back to being a family man. So now the the you know the hierarchy has switched to there's the resistance in changing the world, but then there's also my family. So right, even though it's not stated plainly, which I don't think it should be. Why are you making a movie if you're doing that? Uh, you could argue that his actions near the end would sort of have to do with, I have to preserve myself in order to preserve uh, my my family's future. Yeah. But then there's also plenty of stories where, you know, if someone's got to go, unfortunately, it's probably going to be the father to protect the family. Yeah. You know, you, don't, you, do, you send uh, the fathers off to battle. You don't send... The, well, you definitely don't send the wives, and you don't send uh, the young children. But after a certain point, you know, I mean, and we do this in the world mm-hmm. we live in, the young man who is of age now goes to fight for his elderly father. Yeah. But considering the ages, I think maybe if Preston was older and his son was older, maybe it could have been a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, the the it could have been a coming of age story where Preston does fall in battle in the name of peace. And maybe his son 
can struggle with that, but eventually come to understand it. But at this point, if Preston dies, he probably sends his son down the path of revenge. Yeah, that would have been bad. I'm not saying he was thinking about that, though. He seemed to be uh, quite passionate in the moment. Yeah, no, no. Uh, But, yeah, so for potential and fighting for tomorrow, it obviously checks that box. Yes. Uh, Now, tragedy and sacrifice, you talked about this earlier, the the strongest... Yeah, oh, sorry. Would would have been Earl or it was Earl or Errol? Errol, yeah. Like <laughs> Errol Flynn. Uh, I like I like Earl more. Really? I really like the name Errol. I actually thought about like I, I would want to no, use I just, that as like I just a baby like, name. I just like the contrast. Oh, <laughs> it's like yeah. No, Sean Bean's name is Earl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that would be tragedy sacrifice because that's the thing that gets Partridge to start thinking about his belief system and really scrutinize it. Yeah, and um, when Errol Partridge is kind of uh, in that room reading the poetry, he's kind of accepted his fate, and I'm not so sure if what he is doing by putting his hand on his gun, I'm not so sure if it isn't sacrifice. Because... He's forcing Preston's hand and kind of mm-hmm. forcing a jolt to his system. So it could be Errol Partridge willingly going to his death in hopes that his partner will carry on his his legacy. Yeah. And I mean, like when the, the thing that he's doing, I mean, he's he's cocking the gun without even holding it. So, I mean, yeah, he obviously he knows that he's not going to be able to shoot this gun. Right. He, he's not fast enough. He knows that Preston's faster. He, well, he's also like moving at a snail's pace. Right. And so. uh, they, they, you know, then later in the movie established that Preston is the best that they have. So mm-hmm. that literally means Partridge can't beat him one-on-one. So the fact that he's reaching for his gun, that's not in self-defense. That, that mm-hmm. could be, forcing Preston's hand in order to give a shock to his system, which that is where it starts. I mean, that's kind of why throughout the rest of the movie, you see Preston going through every single thing and saying almost word for word what Errol Partridge was saying. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that makes the most sense is that Partridge is being like, if I can get him to kill me, he's Obi-Wan. Oh my God. He's Obi-Wan. (laughs) <laughs> He's not, only Obi-Wan wasn't trying to get the change in Anakin He was trying to get the change in Luke But Luke got the change in Anakin Dang, you right though Okay <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very satisfied with that one <laughs> that, That's good Ooh, nice Alright what, 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 what was next? We um, the, so we got tragedy. legacy, potential, and tragedy Which was the sacrifice so, so now Now that it checks all three of those pillars is it belt? I I don't think so. Okay. And well, I and I don't know what in particular. I think that it really is the way that they that he dealt with that villain at the end. Yes. He kills an, think, an unarmed man. And I think that that is what sets it apart from Belt is that he <clears> didn't I think, I think if the, if okay, so if you cut out the anthology of hijinks 
that Preston gets into in the middle where he's trying to explain he's stuttering around I need I need to do this one which is so comedic in retrospect even though some horrible things are happening around that like if you trimmed those a little bit and have the climax of the movie happen maybe 40 minutes earlier and then you have a falling action after that maybe not falling action but have cuz the movie doesn't really have falling action the climax is right there at the very end. Yeah. And then things kind of cut to black pretty quick. But if it had more of his son, and then his son is is going to go a different direction than his father was able to go. And, uh, you know, it, it, it hammers home that it's it's not vengeance being taken now. It's now we're going to, you know, go for a better world. Not just because uh, because he absolutely is taking vengeance because the thing he thinks about right before he does it is Mary being killed. Yeah. So he's taking vengeance. So, yeah, vengeance kind of makes it to where it can't be built. I think that's a disqualifier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a that's a good point. Because even but if like... it ended later and then the point, you know, the point could be more killing isn't the answer. Killing is how we got this. Mm hmm. But the the potential of great evil has to be there. The chaos has to be there in order for there to be good, you know. Uh, then, of course, it would fall within there. Yeah, because, um, like, when I think of vengeance, like, even Ryuko in Kill a Kill, like, when her, she was going after um, her father's killer and then later rises yeah, she was above going for vengeance the vengeance. First. Yes. So... Yeah, and that, that uh, Kill a Kill definitely wanted him. Definitely wanted him once. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- there is a, a disqualifying factor there. So, uh, did you get a pop-off this time watching it? Because my original pop-off was him going into that uh, room and, and, you know, just lit with a muzzle flash, taking everyone out. Um, yeah... I don't know. I think the scene with the music got me this time. I was like, the that scene, is a really good scene. The scene with the music was powerful, but that is a long way into the movie yeah, for a it pop really off. Is. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you took a long time to sell me on this, huh? Yeah. Um, Equilibrium is an old movie. Yeah, I would say that if if I was if I was younger, watching this in the time that it came out or around that time, that first scene would have been the pop off. Equilibrium is like a tech demo. Everything about the movie feels bleeding edge. If it comes out in 2002, Mm -hmm. like the design of everything felt very modern. The, the sci-fi seems very, uh, it, it actually, it was like, like it has its finger on the pulse. Mm-hmm. in 2002 yeah whereas now it's like yep this is a very old movie and the fact that it seemed so contemporary at the time is what is dating it so much yes uh whereas i think the matrix is actually less so the matrix ages better even though the matrix was older mm. yeah that being said uh in contrast to the matrix the Matrix really does fall on the side of 
brutal, violent revolution. And uh, that, that, that is the message. The message is to wake up to the evil and then kill the evil by any means necessary. And the metaphor being agents can take control of any regular person and that makes it okay to kill them now. But the, that's the movie's rules that it's setting up. So, you know, and, and the agents are a threat. But that is the metaphor. It is, it is the metaphor of the revolutionary where it's, oh, you're with them, you're an agent. Whereas yeah. Equilibrium, not so much. Hmm. Uh, okay, so <laughs> you didn't quite get a pop-off. I, I think, yeah, I think it's just because it's, it's too dated. Uh, do you have any favorite quotes in the movie? Yes. My favorite quote is uh, when Errol says, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. (laughs) Uh, No, I don't really have any good quotes. I I think that, um, gosh, because if it would have been a quote, I mean, it it is impossible for it to have been a quote, uh, but that music scene, like, I I think that that spoke really well better than any of the quotes that i would have remembered i don't really remember any quotes uh i have a slew that i'm not sure if i can pick between but there there was the you know without love without blank without sorrow breath mm-hmm. is a ticking clock that was good um i liked it is not the message that is important it is our obedience to it hmm. and i was like ooh. Ooh, that's good. That's, of course, you know, coming from the villain. Yeah. The point is not the message. It's not the belief system. It's merely obedience. Yeah. That is that is important. Which, he has a point. Being part of something, it's better than not being a part of something. Even if what you're a part of is maybe not the best that there could be. Uh you know, most likely any group that you're a part of right now isn't perfect, especially mm-hmm. when it's put on something like a, uh, a, a nuclear scale. You know, um, I'm an American, so I'm on the side of the American, uh, the Americans. You know, there's uh, we don't have the cleanest record. But uh, I thought that was a good quote. Uh Yeah, the, the if we can disrupt it for one day, human nature will take its course. Human nature... Yeah being the evil thing from uh, Libria, but Libria being a product a, of human nature. It's like, I want to control things. I want to put things in order. I want, I don't want things to go bad, but uh, human nature also reacting quite strongly to truth where, you know, when, when the veil falls, it's like, I can't just go back to that. It's not how it works. And then I really liked the part <laughs> Where he's on the polygraph and his heart rate's going crazy. And then when they break him, it flatlines. <laughs> and the doctor, or, you know, he says, not without incident. That was good. And then yeah. the doctor is just, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I was like, that was good. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, what did we do to it? I think we pushed him too hard. Uh, but yeah. So that, that, I, I had a few. I think yeah, probably my favorite though is the "Without Sorrow, Breath is Just a Ticking Clock." Yeah, or, yeah. that is that is a really good one. And now, then, 
for the big question. Yeah. I think does I probably set, already already know your answer to this. Does it set your soul ablaze? I'm going to say definitively it used to. This this really yeah. fired me up back yeah, in the and, day. And in my memory, it was firing me up. <laughs> and think think about uh the difference in our ages. Like mm-hmm. when we saw this, we prob we were probably closer in age to the sun. So it's <laughs> what? my brain just completely forgot that we were talking about a movie and I was like what? the sun is like 2.5 <laughs> billion years old. Daniel, that is evidence that you are a moron. <laughs> Good lord. Okay. It's the dumbest thing my brain could have ever done. <laughs> Okay, but but at the time when we saw this, we were probably closer in age to the sun. Yeah. And uh, this is also, I mean, I mean, it's more like a thing where Preston is is an older role model figure to us at that time, mm-hmm. where we, we see less of his struggle and more of, look at the amazing things this guy can do. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that moment... Where he's where, where the son is like, you forget, it's my job to know what you're thinking. And he's like, then you know what I'm going to do now. And that look they have, I was like, yeah, if you think of that different context when you watch the movie at, at different mm-hmm. points in your life. You know, when, when you're a kid, it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, go kick some ass, dad. But like now it's like. <laughs> The burden of existence weighs heavy <laughs> on my psyche. <laughs> I must protect my children. <laughs> like, I think that's yeah, what as, changes it. As a kid, he really was like our John Wick. Yeah, like it was. It was like, oh yeah, he's fighting. He's fighting for the little guy. He's fighting for the dead dog. <laughs> yeah, but uh, after the fact, it's like this is a very torturous thing. That Preston mm-hmm. has gone through, and I'm not so sure he. Uh, I mean, he of course doesn't do everything right. Yeah. So the best you can do is hope for the future. Whereas the difference is that with things that are built, like Gurren like Promare, is we just created the better future right mm-hmm. now, and it was without stooping to the level. It was without, you know, uh, it, it. It's 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 uncompromising. There there are no excuses in belt. So, uh, yeah, I think it would definitively not be belt. And, uh, now, even though the first time set my soul ablaze now, not so much. It's more like a hard truth instead. Yeah. It's a very uncomfortable message. So right after I saw this, right after I watched the movie, I had this thought and, and this is not a very well formed thought. And as I'm thinking through it, like I've been thinking through it this entire, uh, recording, but, um, it, it feels like it might fall apart, but I feel like there's an aspect of belt that leaves, leaves with this feeling of either there's still more work to be done or like there's, there's rebuilding that needs to happen or, um, or something like that. And this movie just didn't give it to me, even though like, yes, there is. <clears throat> There is rebuilding that needs to be done. There's uh, there's an establishment of a new world that needs to happen. Like Gurren yeah, Lagan. Yeah, Gurren Lagan feels like at the end, you know, 
there's more work for the new generation to do. And Kill a Kill, it's like, uh, uh, well, I guess Kill a Kill is more like we have to get back to regular life. And then, yeah, yeah. The the thing with Kill a Kill is now we have to readjust to not being on this great adventure to save the world. Yeah, and then with and, uh, with you know, Promare, she she loses Sinketsu. Yeah, and with Promare, it's like we have to literally rebuild the world. <laughs> yes, but you brought up the fact that with Promare, it was. Uh, now everyone is the same. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there now there were no more burnish. Whereas mm-hmm. you know the the message was, there were people who said you, you, we need to uh, accept and understand the burnish. What the burnish then do is burn away that which makes them different. Like that that was what they did, and now yeah. now now we can all be in harmony. Mm. So. Even though they're rebuilding, it is now without division. So, so, so what? Uh, what's your first reaction to when I say like you know there's there's an, a level of rebuilding, there's a level of uh, more work uh, to be done. My my reaction is that it definitely has that, and that was what I thought the imagery with the sun coming up, the sun mm-hmm. coming through. You know, the new dawn. It's uh, now. You know, now now there's a way forward. Now now the way forward is lit, and he gets a a uh, a peak of that in the rain, halfway through, where he's like paralyzed in awe yeah. at the beauty of of the rain on the window pane and the sun coming through. Because you really don't see much of the sun throughout the rest of the movie. It's very much uh, cloudy dark, skies. Yeah, or cloudy. Darkness. Yeah. So the two times you see it is when he gets a glimpse of it. So he's like, he's getting a glimpse of what there could be and how he's changing. And then at the end, it's like, now we are heading towards. And I mean, the, the, the way they show it is there's people running up from the sun. Like the sun is behind and the resistance people are flooding out from it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this has now broken through. The sun has now broken through the cloud cover. And now everything is being bathed in light. So uh, I saw that as a, a less obvious, more image-based version of that message that Promare ends on. But Promare also ends on the same image. It's the, the, the sun is rising. And mm-hmm. now Gallo and Leo are the same. Like they're they're both kind of standing there shirtless. <laughs> in kind of the same uh, position as the sun rises, whereas before they were opposites. Right. Literally. Yeah, and in the process, Leo burns away his his need to destroy, and then Gallo, for the first time, created fire. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say I definitely got that from it. And I, and I got it... Uh, on both times, probably the same effect. Okay. I, I, you know, I think it's that maybe man, his, I'm applying his... too much sensitivity. I didn't see it as an evil grin. I saw yeah, it my, as one my that perception was of his smile. My perception of his smile really ruined that, I guess. <laughs> it, it was almost like a, a, a grin of, it's because you would almost think he could, if he could show relief, mm-hmm. like if it, if it looked more relieved, but there's a bit of a scowl to it. 
But that to me, that's what drives home, that it is now a path forward. Now there is work to do. And now he is accepting it. Like, he, he's, um, like, taking it upon himself. Because, like, in Promare, the way Leo and Gallo are looking out at the sun, at the sunset, it's not relief. It's, all right, let's do this. Like, mm-hmm. they have a scowl. You know, they're facing forward instead of, you know, kind of leaning back. It's like time to time to roll up your sleeves. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> what sleeves? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I definitely got the that feeling pretty pretty wholeheartedly at the end. That being said, I think because he takes vengeance and because it is so uh, resentment driven, like he resents father for letting her die when in truth he also let her die. Right. That kind of muddies the waters and makes it to where now his son has to be the one that does things for real, like really pulls it off because uh, Preston failed to bring about peace because he was not prepared for war. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. His story is more apotropaic. Yeah. Because if you want peace, prepare for war. And he was not prepared. Uh, but uh, a, a cool thing was that I noticed th- those who start feeling immediately have to learn how to deceive. How to, how to what? You kind of cut out for a moment. Those who started feeling immediately had to learn how to deceive. So all of the people who are the good guys in this are having to live a lie in order mm. to protect themselves. And they are being forced down that path. But you you know, you wonder, uh, Preston being forced to kill people there there's every every argument that can be made of you still shouldn't kill people um you know you still shouldn't lie yeah so uh self-preservation definitely prevails over uh you know do doing the right thing and it's maybe you know we'll 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 avoid doing the right thing right now so that we can do it better in the future. Yeah. But that's compromising. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but Belt is uncompromising. (laughs) Yes, it is uncompromising, violent optimism. Yes, in in fact, uh, Cray Foresight has more in common with Preston than Leo and Gallo do. Oh, yeah. From Promare. So. The guy who was like, well, you have to make compromises. You know, we can't do this in order to save everyone. You know, we got to we got to we got to sacrifice some of them. Every time we mention Promare, I have to say about the, the if you would have just applied all of the stuff that you did yeah. to compromise. <laughs> it's such a good scene. It's a good interaction. <laughs> It's like, look at all this amazing technology you created. Could you not just apply that to doing the good thing? He's like, not possible. No way of doing it. He's like, you're inventing new solutions. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, there's there's something that really goes goes beyond with Belt, where it's like you not only find the potential in yourself and do the better thing, you find it in the villain. Mm-hmm. And Preston does not. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, I uh, got to turn it away. Not allowed into the club. 
but it's a good movie. Yes, yeah, I like it. it. It it was it was good, and I bet uh, upon a second viewing now that I, you know, have a clear understanding of what the plot and themes were, uh, it, I'll probably enjoy it more. Yeah, and that's what I've noticed about uh, a lot of movies that I don't like on the first watch. It's like, well, maybe I should read a review that disagrees with me, and then mm. watch it again. And for some reason, people seem averse to that, where they're like, well, if I didn't like it then I didn't like it. Or, uh, on the other hand, if I liked it, then no one should tell me that I shouldn't like it. And it's like, grow up, kid. Like, yeah. you you should be looking to, first of all, question your first impressions, most of all, mm-hmm. but also find a balance. Yeah, and also be secure enough in yourself and your own opinions. Yeah, and the only way you gain security is to hear the opposing. Right. So, yeah. All right. I think that's good enough. We yeah. can probably wrap that one up. Yeah. I have no idea what we're going to do next time. We have we've not talked about that yet. Yeah, we have a we have a laundry <laughs> list of items that we've been cherry picking off of for this season. Yeah. So, we're going to have to see what, what what's on the docket for next time. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I'd be willing to go for one of the more demanding ones, like one of the longer ones because uh my shifts have gotten shorter cuz I went and hurt myself again. So, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll have more time. Uh, and, and most of my time now is spent waiting for new equipment to come in before I do work on the big projects. So mm. I got plenty of time. We, we could do something. But, of course, that's also up to you. We'll figure that out. Yeah. We will see y'all next time. Or, well, we won't see nothing. Ain't anyone in here seeing. I'll see except you. Except with their third eye. Roger. Uh, what? We can there's, stop it there. <laughs> there's one guy named Roger that's listening. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'm glad we have a listener. Thank you, Roger. <laughs> He's going to be immortalized. If this ever gets big, everyone will know Roger was the one listener. <laughs> he, he was the one holding it out. Thank you, Roger. We needed you. All right. Go beyond. Plus Ultra. Ah, yeah.